Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are finishing uh, a series of conversations, sermons on family. And I want to just give a, a preamble before we dive in today. And just I asked for grace from the Holy Spirit because uh, what we're going to cover together today, there's a lot of room for those of you who are currently parents with young kids to maybe take offense or be defensive, and that is not God's heart for you. And there's room for those of you who your kids are out of the house and maybe not serving the Lord. There's, there's room where the enemy might want to come in and stir up condemnation or regret. And that's not what God has for you. So stay open to the Holy Spirit and wait till the end, okay? All right. So we're going to ask for conviction and not condemnation. But we have been dealing. This isn't the first week we're dealing with delicate things. We've been, I've been handling plutonium before your eyes for the last four weeks uh, talking about family and identity, and we talked about secular culture and the, the, the good news that secularism gives and the good news that the gospel gives and how to see our identities come to life in Christ and then, in turn, how we raise our families in Jesus. And we looked last week at instructions for Christian households, and we're going to wrap things up today, as promised, talking about parenting and if, if you're like me over these last weeks as we've been really zooming in on God's heart, like heart for the Christian family and the Christian household and the stakes that he's placed on it, like it's a really big deal if you take the scripture seriously. God's plan for the flourishing of all things is hung upon not just Jesus, but the good news of Jesus expressed through Christian families and Christian households. That's a big deal. And I have had... Just increasing, you know, promise and invitation, but also this kind of low-grade sense of anxiety for all the ways as a parent. It just stresses me out. Anybody? Y'all, parenting is hard. Can I get an amen? Well, like, like nothing just gets you in touch with your own insecurity and inadequacy like becoming a parent. It's just like the, the moment you become a dad or a mom, it's like somebody came into your room at 2 a.m. and you were in a deep, great sleep REM cycle and they just flip the lights on, throw a douse of cold water on you and start saying, wake up, wake up, grow up. That's what happened to me anyway. anyway. I have a theory that when one child enters the world, another one begins to exit. Anybody? Has that been your experience? All the things just start shifting when you become a parent, like your habits. I remember Mel and I, when we had Ava, I still had friends who were much, you know, not even close to kids' stage calling me at 9.30 at night asking if I want to go out and me saying, do you have any idea what time it is? It is bedtime. Goodbye, Right? All the adjustments start happening, and it's instant sleeplessness and diapers. And do you know that diaper is spelled repaid backwards? Just, just <laughs> stress and fear and anxiety. And it, it just brings all the pressure. And then all of the, if you'll look long enough, self-revelation. I, I find my kids too often to be a mirror on me. Hey, stop yelling and overreacting. 
you proceed to yell and overreact at your kids. Only me? Is it only me? Okay. Yeah, it brings just adjustments. And if you're a Christian, I suspect if you're like me, it brings this, I think, God-given burden and desire for just divine intervention. Where you start to realize this is going to take an actual miracle for my kid to turn out the way that God wants them to. The pressure of just being a parent today is astounding. Have you seen some of the statistics that are rising? I saw a study just this past week, and it was out of a couple of professors out of NYU and San Diego State, and they were looking at like mental health trends in young people for the last 10 years. And some of the statistics are absolutely stunning. Like percentage of teens admitted to hospital for self-harm in the last 10 years. Boys have gone up 37%, girls almost 50%. In the last 10 years, teens admitted to hospitals between the age of 10 and 14. Girls has gone up 188%. For self-harm in the last 10 years. Boys up almost 50%. This is not just in America. This is also in Canada. This study was uh, in Ontario as well. And this is emergency department visits for self-harm for kids between the ages of 13 and 17. Girls in the last 10 years, 138% increase. And boys up 75%. This is self-harm in kids. I mean, the the statistics are absolutely jarring and stunning. Like, being a parent has always been hard, but it's there's something extra right now happening in our children. U.S. teens with major depression in the last 10 years. In girls, it's gone up 145%. Boys, 161% increase since 2010. Uh, U.S. undergrads, college kids diagnosed with mental illness, anxiety, depression... Anxiety is up 134% in the last 10 years. It's sticker shock, isn't it? It doesn't even seem real when you look at this stuff. Depression, they found up 106% in 10 years. ADHD, 72%. Bipolar, 57%. Anorexia, 100% increase in 10 years. Substance abuse, up 33%. Schizophrenia, it's, it's wild to see some of these statistics and how they are happening. And then this, this one's just unbelievable suicides for kids between the age of 10 and 14. Like, what are they even? Up 109% in boys, 134% in girls since 2010. The statistics are jarring. The pressure is on for parents in general. But then when you start to zoom in on Christian parents, it's not only that we have the pressure of navigating life with our children in society as it currently is with the results it's currently getting. Those are secular results. But then when you start thinking about the Christian church, we talked a couple weeks ago about how in our society in the West, church attendance and Christianity has shrunk dramatically and there are more people. We talked about the nuns, if you are here. People who are checking off on census data that they don't have any religious affiliation. They, they check off none. And so there are less Christian homes than ever before in Western society. And then in those Christian homes, there are less kids actually being raised up with resilient faith. There was a study that the Barna Group put out not long ago. And it was looking at snapshots of Christian households. So understand, it's dealing with a smaller group or wedge of society than ever before. 
And then within those Christian households, they found here was basically how young people, college-age kids, divvied up. They found that 22% of kids that grew up in Christian households just became prodigals and they left the faith altogether. 30% they called lapsed Christians or nomads. They were just kind of wandering, not really taking it seriously. So half of Christian kids are, have either rejected the faith outright or just aren't taking it seriously and kind of just doing their thing. And then 38% they found they called habitual churchgoers. They were, they were part of the church and they attended church. But what they actually found in the revealing statistic was that 10% of Christian kids or kids that grew up in Christian households with Christian parents, only 10% are what they called resilient disciples. And to be a resilient disciple wasn't, we're not talking like Navy SEAL level special forces Christianity here. We're talking, the, the criteria for a resilient disciple was they attended church at least once a month. They viewed church as more than just a service to attend, but a community to be a part of and a way of life. They were committed to Jesus, they understood the gospel, and they had a desire to see Jesus establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's the requirement for a resilient disciple. And they found out that in Christian households in America, only 10% of our kids would be called resilient disciples that could check those boxes. The pressure's on. We are, uh, we're losing a generation. So it begs the question for the church whether you have kids or not, uh, spiritual moms and dads, it begs the question for us, you know, what is our role right now in the moment that we're in? What is our role as Christian parents and as the church as it relates to the next generation? And how do we raise our kids in what we say matters most? What are we to do? I want, if you'll hang with me, to give us just four thoughts, four keys, four ideas as to what we need to get doing as parents and as a church family if we are going to see the next generation, our young people, Gen Z and younger, rise up and grab onto the faith and come to know Jesus Christ who we say is everything. What do we need to do? Four things, and now again, I'm praying for grace for you because this, this might step on your toes for a minute. It stepped on mine writing it, so I'm not exempt either. But we're going to end off in good news and something that we can all do. So are you with me? This is heavy stuff, but, but there's good news for us. But we've got we to gotta dive through some stuff. I have four things, and you should write them all down. The first thing is this. What we need to do, if we're going to see a generation raised up in the faith, coming to know Jesus, to be resilient disciples, here's the first thing I want you to consider. First and foremost, we need to see parents get healthy. We actually need to see moms and dads who demonstrate the way, who actually walk in it. We actually have to see parents pass on a form of faith that is vital and healthy and realistic. It's tangible. The first key to raising a kid in the faith and passing on health and setting them up for success, hear me, is the success of the parents in their own lives and in their own walk. We love to think as parents that our children only inherit our genes, our genetics. That's not true, though. 
Not only do we pass on our physical likeness oftentimes, but we pass on our personalities, we pass on our baggage, we pass on our attitudes, our expectations, our behaviors, our mindsets. It all gets handed to the next generation. And this is a historical fact. This is a sociological, psychological fact. This is a biblical fact that the life of the parent gets passed on to the child. You see it in the Bible. The Bible talks about like the hereditary nature of health in their parents and the hereditary nature of life and death. That's one of the things you see immediately when you start flipping the pages of the book of Genesis. First you see God's plan to be fruitful and multiply, to go in the fullness of God and the flourishing of God. And then the moment sin enters in, you see the generational cyclical pattern of sin and destruction that hits the family. And you see all through the scripture, you see the promise of God that blessing or curse will pass on through the generations. You see the book of Exodus. This is when God was establishing the Ten Commandments of the people of God. And he talks about idolatry. Do not bow down to idols or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous, a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, some of you read that and you're like, wow, God seems mean here. Uh, that's actually not like a deterministic statement from God. It's just a, it's a point of fact. That the patterns that you see in the scripture, whether it's through sinfulness or godliness and blessing, get multiplied and passed through generations. Now, we believe through the grace of Jesus that can turn on a dime. And again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you have to understand that you are not parenting, you're not living, mom and dad, your life in a vacuum. You, you are not isolated to yourself, but the dysfunction or the success that you are experiencing is getting passed on to your kids. And this is the promise of God. And it says even toward blessing. From everlasting to everlasting, it says in Psalm 103, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his commands. And you see this pattern in the Old Testament. Anybody ever read Kings lately? Like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles? You'll actually see the favor of God passing through generations. Like there's times where one of David's kids, like way down the line, is just way off the rails. And God says, but because of your father David, I'll have mercy on you. This stuff passes on. Blessing can roll into the next generation and so can our dysfunction. And it's not just the Bible that says this. Modern science and social science and psychological psychology is actually backing this up. I had a, um, an Instagram conversation with my friend Trisha Wilson, who, who's a clinical traumatologist. She actually deals with family trauma and, and helps people process through that to find healing. And I'm really grateful. We have a lot of just godly Christian counselors and mental health workers in our church, and I'm thankful for that. But one of the things she said was that in fact, this is 100% accurate that generational trauma can get passed and does get passed. She cited one study that said up to seven generations can feel the weight of something that happened to someone. It gets passed on through. And it's not just the thing that happened, but more it's actually the coping mechanisms, the culture that gets built around that trauma, and the expectations and mindset that happens as a result of trauma and dysfunction gets passed on through the line. This is, this is a statement of fact. Uh, the, the Catholic thinker Ronald Rollheiser said it like this. Whatever we don't transform, we transmit. 
Whatever doesn't get transformed. So hear me on this, church, and that moms and dads and spiritual moms and dads, this is on you too. If we are going to win a generation into the life and blessing and vitality and freedom and truth and healing and health and power and presence of King Jesus, we have to walk in it. You cannot punt that down to your kid and expect your daughter or your son to walk in a manner that they have not seen modeled. You know, it's a convenient thought to think that your kids are going to figure out things that you haven't and are going to experience victories that you haven't. And it's, it's nice sometimes to look at your kid and think, oh, all the good things that you got, they got from me and that attitude's clearly from your mother, <laughs> right? But that's, uh, that's not what science or the Bible or probably your own experience would tell you. I have to go to war for my kids in my own life. Let me, let me play it out uh, one area that I'm, I'm battling in, and, and I'm, I'm do, the stakes are so high in my own life. I am terrified of the Internet for my kids, y'all. Anybody else? It's like, wah! Some days I seriously want to build like a little Ewok village out in French village, out in the backwoods, and just cut off power, and we're just going to be a commune out there just doing our thing, just to shelter and protect my kids. But here's, here's the hard truth is you can only cut off their digital access so long. And I can either keep my kids from ever looking at the Internet, which there's some wisdom in managing that. So I'm not saying just the free-for-all parents. But the better thing I can give my kids, like my son, for instance, I want to show my son that it's possible for a man to not be addicted to pornography. Like, like I, can, I can go on the Internet and I, I have control and victory. I want to show my daughter that it's possible to have Instagram and have Facebook and not be addicted to people's like. I want to show my kids that it's possible to not live my life like this. They need to see it modeled, though, like I fight that battle for them. I have to learn to walk in the victory that I want my son and my, my sons and my daughter to walk in. Can I just say that again? Like, I know I'm stepping on toes, but I, I think this is the word of the Lord, like to call you to a sense of urgency for your own level of victory. Now, God wants you to flourish because of that, but the stakes are bigger than just you, mom and dad. It's, it's for your kids. We have got to get healthy. We, the church, have got to learn how to pass on victory and health. Can I get an amen? So the stakes of your holiness are high. It's not just your own battle anymore if you are a mom or a dad. But you have kids you're fighting for in your own life, in your own battles. We have to get parents healthy. Number two, this is the last toe stepper and then we'll move on. <laughs> If we're going to see a next generation come to life in Christ, if we're going to win the next generation, then the right priorities have got to be set. We have to prioritize our kids' formation. Here is another unpopular statement. A lot of the dysfunction that we're seeing in our kids today, 
and all those statistics I just showed you, they are not the fault of the school system or of Apple or of Google or of the LGBTQ agenda or Megan the Stallion or Sam Smith. It's not the fault of the Grammys. As frustrated as I am with that, with the liberals, with the conservatives, with Biden, with Trudeau, as, as concerned as I am with the way things are in secular society, it, that, it's not Trudeau's responsibility to raise my kids, it's mine. And we live in a moment where parents have been deceived into thinking the best way to serve my kids is to shape the world around my unique little son or daughter. That they get to be them and true to themselves and my job as a parent is to remove every obstacle around them that would call into question how they are being shaped and formed. You know, they used to prepare kids for the road but now they prepare the road for the kids. And this is something I think we as the church are getting duped into. It should come as no surprise to us when we live in a society that lets children dictate to the parents how they want and are going to express their lives, their sexuality, their gender, their identity. They determine their own boundaries. They get very little direction or accountability and have very few role models. The statistics should not shock us or surprise us. What do you think a society run by children looks like? If we're going to win the next generation to Christ, to health and to life, moms, dads, and churches have got to take responsibility for the formation of our kids. I'm not just going to let the culture mold you. And I'm not just going to let you go through life thinking that you can mold the world to you. You're going to hit a wall at some point and it's going to be ugly. My job as a parent is to actually shape you, to form you. Parents have got to realize that our kids being shaped, they're being shaped every single day. Who they are is not just nature. It's largely nurture. We have to understand something. Your kids are being formed, as are we, all day, every day, and we need to be aware of what and how we are being formed. Sometimes we as disciples and as followers of Jesus sleep on the reality that there's no such thing as neutrality in this life. Every commercial you see, every mall you walk through, every, everything that you do is shaping and forming who you are. There's this, one of my favorite books I've read in the last 10 years is by a guy named James K.A. Smith. If you want a good book, uh, it's called You Are What You Love. And in his book, his whole premise is, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a mentality of enlightenment that says, you know, I think, therefore I am. Anybody, Rene Descartes, you heard that one before? It's like the power of thinking. And we do believe that what you believe and how you think is very powerful. However, what Smith argues is there's something in us that's more powerful than our mindset even, and that is what we love. It's our longings. And in fact, your life is ultimately directed by your longings more than your thinking even. Like, here's a way to prove it. If we have any smokers in the building, 
uh, you know. I mean, the government has gone to lengths. They hide it behind. You can't even see it at the convenience store anymore. And then when you buy it, it's like, this will give you cancer. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, but I love it. Right? Isn't that your loves will override what you know to be true or you know to be beneficial. But he says the good news is we as disciples can actually form a, for, like, cultivate what we love. He says it like this. Maybe this will help explain a little better. He says it's crucial for us to recognize that our ultimate loves, longings, desires, and cravings are learned. They're formed. They're shaped. And because love is a habit, our hearts are calibrated through imitating exemplars and being immersed in practices that over time index our hearts to a certain end. Super big stuff what he just said there. Everything you do in your life, what you watch on TV, the conversations you have at work, the advertisements that you see, the music you hear on the radio, it is all cultivating and shaping your loves. This is why coming to church is so important. It is cultivating and shaping your loves. You don't come to church so that you, you don't come to church and like, oh, I didn't feel it today. No, you come to church to shape your loves so that you can feel it. Does that make sense? And so what are the implications of this? Well, like it's, it's true for your physical diet. How many of you know you can actually make yourself like vegetables more? Has anybody gone more than six weeks with a diet? Once you start getting to a certain zone, like I haven't, I couldn't drink a Coca-Cola if I tried right now. Last time I drank Coke was in Haiti. It was, a, it was an emergency. <laughs> it's too sugary for me. Like my palate's changed because I cut that out. You can actually shape your loves and the things that you like. Like I would take dates over a lot of candy. I love dates. Anybody love dates? I'm a date people at. It's nature's candy, y'all. You're missing out. But this is true not just of our diets. It's also true of our Christian lifestyle. Our, we must be intentional with how we're shaping and cultivating and forming our kids. We actually have to place liturgy on them and practices on them and models on them so that it shapes their love. Does that make sense? This is, this is what it looked like in the Old Testament. This is what God told the children of Israel as they were coming into the promised land. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that, so you're taking these teachings so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. Here's the Shema. This is something they would recite every single day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are being... Are, are to be on your hearts. Look at this language. Impress them on your children. That sounds pretty pushy. It is. Place them on your children. 
Teach your children the, the word of God and how to walk in the way of God. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see how God instructed the children of Israel to create a formation strategy? Because it wasn't a neutral space they were going into. Remember the promised land? There were all kinds of different societies and communities that were going to be pressing in on the children of Israel. So God gave them something that was going to form them and their children and their children's children. What am I saying? We have to fight, y'all hear me. We have to fight to outshape our kids up against what culture is trying to shape them with. That is where our fight is. You know, we talked about not fighting back against culture. That, that, is a, that is a waste of your time. Where your fight needs to be is in your own transformation and how you raise your kids in the faith. It's an as for me and my house decision. We need to shape our kids in the word and in the mind of Christ and in healthy habits and in lifestyle and in priorities. And we need to learn, you know what? I don't care if you push back, kiddo. I'm the dad. And as long as you're in this house, like, I wonder if we didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater when the church decided, hey, you know that whole legalism thing we're doing? Yeah, not working for us. And rightly so. Legalism is death. But I wonder if we, along with legalism, threw out devotion and threw out this idea that, no, some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth establishing. Like, I'm not advocating for legalism, but I am advocating for lifestyle decisions. Maybe we need to recapture a little bit of what, you know, grandma had. No, you will go to church, boy. You're going to go to church this morning. You're going to go to church again to Sunday night service, and you're going to go Wednesday. And you're going to like it. Right? No, I'm not saying that. Don't be legalistic. But I am saying... It's okay and actually necessary for us to fight the fight with our kids. Like every day, I've said this before, when I drive Alex, my youngest, to school and drop him off on our way, I look in the rearview mirror, he's back in his little booster seat, and I say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I look at him and say, you better be saying it with me. And then he'll start, some days, some days he'll try to skip it. And then I'll say, I, hear, I don't hear you, right? And I'll make him say it out loud. And you know what? I don't know if it's connecting here or here, but it's so, it sure is shaping the atmosphere that he's going to school in every day. And there's going to come a moment some, somewhere down the line. I know we've got parents here that your kids are already out of the house and maybe not even serving the Lord. And you're looking at me and saying, you don't even know what your kids are going to do yet. I know I don't. So it's, it, to me, the urgency is all the more to shape and mold and sow seed into their lives so that at the appropriate time, at just the right time, my labor over them will reap a harvest. Here's a hard truth. Here's my last, like, hard truth, and it's gonna, we're going to turn a corner, okay? Just hang with me. For some of you, this is your first and maybe last time coming to King's Church. It's been great to have you. It's been great. So glad you're here. Come back next week. We're in Matthew. I'm sure it's safe. No, it's, it's not. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing safe about it. I'm rereading Narnia, and I love Narnia because when it talks about uh, Aslan, 
It's like, uh, he's not a tame lion. It's like, oh, is Aslan safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. I love that. Here's the hard truth. Our kids, your kids, King's Church's kids are going to be shaped by and will catch what is actually most important to us, not what we say is most important to us. We can't be surprised if we say that faith is important to our kids, but the, the actual testimony they're getting is that everything comes before it. Look, I grew up playing competitive sports, so I know the struggle is real. And my parents fought that fight and did the dance, and some of you are in that right now. And it's, there's, there's no silver bullet to it, but let me just place this uncomfortable truth on you. Don't be surprised when your kids leave your home and then all of a sudden their faith is not that important to them when really what, you, what they saw was a lot of lip service about their faith, but in actuality they never really had to take ownership of it. And they were never really, de- they never were really shown that sometimes, in fact, all the time, we need to put God first. We have to take responsibility for the shaping of our kids, for how they are being formed, and we have to stop believing the lie that you don't have to fight to shape them. They must be formed in the faith. Okay, number three. It's going to get a little, 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 little easier from here on out. We have to make the right proclamation. So we need to prioritize their formation. We need to get healthy parents. And then ultimately, we need to start saying the right things. We need to get the right proclamations. We must proclaim and prophesy the word of our testimony into our kids. We actually have to speak it. If we are going to see the next generation raised to life in Christ... What they see modeled isn't the only thing that matters, but what they hear is of total importance. In fact, faith doesn't come by seeing. It comes by, yeah, so, so what, we, what they hear is so important. We read, it, we read it just a minute ago. Look at it again. So, you know, the things we've heard and known, the things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants, and we will tell the next generation. See that key word? Tell. We'll tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds the Lord has done and his power and the wonders that he's done. We, we're going to speak it to them so that they'll know. We're going to tell our children so that they tell their children. If we want our kids to, to grab hold of the faith, they have to hear it. They have to hear it consistently, accurately, repeatedly. Here's a few thoughts I have when it comes to, like, the Word of God, your role as a parent, and, and what we should be doing as it pertains to that, to create children of the Word. Three, three things. We need to learn to testify, we have to clarify, and we have to prophesy the Word of God in our kids. We need to testify. What do I mean? We need, as parents and as spiritual parents, to be not just open to tell our story, but intentional in recounting our story of what Jesus has done for us. One of the most powerful things you can give your kids is the story of your testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for your dad. Let me tell you how he provided for your family, son. 
well, there's a reason why I tithe, son, and I'll tell you why. It's because God is faithful, and I have found out that when I put him first, he takes care of me in ways I could have never imagined. Oh, let me tell you, son, what God does with our sin. He's quick to forgive. His mercies are new every morning. We have to learn to tell our kids what he's done. They need to know the reason you serve Jesus. Amen? I was writing that down. And I was like, you know what? I, I need to be more intentional with that. Like my kids know I'm a pastor, but I don't know if I've ever sat them down and said, let me tell you the story of Brent Ingersoll and how Jesus saved him. I think that's probably the most powerful thing we could give our kids. The testimony. We also, though, need to rehearse the story, the gospel with them, to bring clarity. You know, one of my, my biggest frustrations as a pastor, I, I can't tell you how many times I have had somebody who has attended church for their whole life say something about the faith, and I'll hear it, and it's completely antithetical to the actual gospel. And I think, where did you hear that? Like I had a conversation with a friend just a few weeks ago. And, they, and he said something along the lines of, well, I hope I get into heaven by all the good deeds I've done. And, and I'm like, you, you, he doesn't go to our church, but you've, I was like, you, you've been a faithful church person your whole life. And your conclusion about the good news story of Jesus is how good a person you can be so that you can go to heaven? Where did you hear that? And what we have to do as parents is fight to get accuracy with the actual gospel. I can't risk for my kids to grow up believing some perverted version of what the actual gospel of Jesus Christ is. We need to get accuracy to bring clarity. We've got to constantly teach our kids the actual gospel and teach them how to see the world with it. Like I took my daughter to the new Avatar a few weeks ago. My poor kids. And on the way back, I'm like, what'd you think of the movie, huh? She's like, oh, it was cool. I was like, yeah, it's visually stunning, but what a pagan hot mess of crap that was. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I didn't say that. I was like, well, that was, that was three hours of panentheism. Let me tell you about panentheism. It believes that everything is God and we're all one with the universe and we just gotta get in a line with Mother Nature. I was like, that's crap. That's not Christianity. Here's what we believe. God made everything. He made it good, but sin screwed it up and brought disconnection and dysfunction. And the only way to right what's wrong is to not get in touch with Mother Earth. It's to get to Jesus, to get to life. And I constantly, no, listen. I'm not joking. I'm constantly preaching the gospel to my kids and trying to take issue with counter stories that they're facing all the time. I want them to understand what the gospel is and I want them to be able to read society with gospel glasses. Amen? And then the third thing, I'm almost done. We need to release the story to them. We need to prophesy. Now some of you, when you see that word, you're like, well, I'm no prophet, I'm no, I'm no Elijah. You know, to prophesy isn't necessarily to get like a, a divine word of knowledge, although we believe that. Ultimately, to prophesy is to speak the word of the Lord. And how many of you know, like let me just say it to the parents who've been listening to this and you're like, my kids are already out of the house. I can't form them anymore. They're, they're adults. You know what you still can do? Speak the most powerful words in the universe over those kids. Continue to declare the promises of God over your kids. If they're young, declare the word of God. Hey, son, Jesus loves you. Never forget it. That's the word of the Lord. 
You were bought for a price. You were made on purpose. God has plans for your life, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus before, in advance to do good works for him. You speak the word of the Lord over your kids. And even over your adult kids, speak it not even so they're in earshot. Speak it so the powers of darkness hear it. Say, ah, I see my kid making bad decisions. But you know what? I read in my Bible about the, the running, hugging, kissing father. And there is coming a moment where that kid is going to have an aha moment. And he's going to realize what futility he's doing. And the seed that's inside my kid is going to click. And he's going to come home, not to me, to Christ. And he shall live with eternal life forever. You declare that stuff. Over your adult kids, because I, I feel it. I know some of you have young adult kids and they're making horrible decisions. The word of God will not return void. You, that's the most powerful thing you have in your arsenal as a parent. It's more powerful than practices. It's more powerful than formation to declare the promise of God on a child. Watch out. The word of God is seed that won't return void tells us in Revelation that we overcome. How does the church succeed in the end? By the blood of the Lamb, the truth of the gospel, what Jesus did for us, and the word of our testimony. How we talk about him. So let me recap. I'm almost done. If we're going to win the next generation to life in Christ, mom, dad, spiritual moms and dads, you have to walk in victory. They need to be compelled by a lifestyle that looks appealing and real and true and transformative. The parents have to get healthy. We have to take ownership for formation. We need some not-in-my-house swagger and some yes-in-my-house swagger. Can I get an amen? amen? And then number three, we have to start speaking the gospel, speaking our testimony, speaking the accurate uh, understanding of the gospel, and speaking the prophetic word of God over the next generation. You know, even, even on a macro scale, not just with my kids, I, I wonder if the spirit of God wouldn't be pleased if, I, if we stopped griping about millennials and Gen Z and we started prophesying over them instead. So that's our job, those three things. But here's the bad news getting to the good news. I said, I thought you were done with the bad news. Well, just hang tight. Um, you can do all of those things. You can fight the fight of formation. You can get healthy yourself. You can say all the right things. And you can just get it just perfect and do it just perfect and still that your child is not going to come to know Jesus unless something happens. At the end of the day, if God is going to grab the hearts of your children, and if he's going to grab the hearts of a generation, there's an act that only he can do. Nobody builds a Christian. Nobody saves themselves. And no parent saves their child. At the end of the day, there is a miraculous work of awakening that has to happen in the heart of your kid. 
And so your job uh, as a parent, you know, if, if it's a fire that we need, you know, for the, the awakening fire of God, then your job is to prepare a place, you know, get some kindling, you know, raise them in church, teach them the word, prophesy the word, model victory, set up the whole thing. But unless the fire of God falls, it's just a well-cultivated life. And so what we really need is to see an awakening happen in the lives of our children and in the life, in like the lives of the generation. We need to see an awakening. So what our number one job is, and this is not just some trite, cute way to end our sermon and our series. We gotta pray. My God, awaken the hearts of my kids that they would know you. Uh, I had a great conversation this week uh, with our vice chairman, Blair. Hey, Blair at West. Um, and we were talking about, I'm celebrating 10 years as senior pastor here at King's Church. And uh, I'll turn 40 next month. So it's kind of one of those seasons where I'm looking back at my life a little bit and just taking stock and we were both kind of marveling at the grace of God on my life up to this point. And he asked the question, he said, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think God has moved so powerfully in your life? And at first, you know, what came to mind is like, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I was brought up in church. I'm glad I had some parents that, you know, would fight the fight for me and modeled it. And I'm glad I was, I'm brought up in a Christian family that handed me a heritage but at the end of the day, the thing that came to mind is, I have been prayed for. Like, since the day I was born. Like, I came out and couldn't breathe. And uh, my parents tell the story of, like, just my dad hitting the deck and just contending for God on my life. Before I took my first breath, I was prayed for. And I have had uh, praying parents, praying grandparents, all of them. My Grammy Ingersoll prayed for me every single day. Um, I grew up in a church that had men and women who were not my mom and dad or even my uncle, but owned me like I was their own and prayed for me. And the fire of God that is on my life and in my heart isn't the result of all the work that has been done, which I am grateful. It is the result of God coming in, riding in on prayer, and igniting my heart and bringing me to life. And I have had a series of awakenings in my life that are miracles that no mom or dad could conjure up. It's something that only God can do. And it, the only part that we play in it as parents and as a church is to pray. God, have your way in this boy. God, have your way in our girl. Prayer is how we partner with God to truly bring our kids to life. 
And it's the one thing that quite honestly is going to make up for all the ways that I and you do it wrong. The odds of you raising a well-adjusted child are infinitely bad. The odds that you raise a well-adjusted child who knows Jesus are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I love this quote. I caught this this past week. Mark Batterson said this about prayer. You'll never be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. Don't just leverage it as the last resort when all else fails. Make it your first priority. Nothing you can do will give you a higher return on your investment. There's some good news for some parents right now that are kicking themselves saying, oh, I should have done it better. You can still pray. Nothing will give you a higher return on your investment, and the dividends are both generational and eternal. God will answer your prayers for your children long after you are gone. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children, grandchildren, and every generation that follows. So you, so you have the opportunity today to crank up your prayer urgency for your kids. That you can do. Some of you moms and dads who your kids in college or your kids are an adult and they're not walking in the way yet, this is your answer. And let me just say in faith over you, like mom and dad who have a prodigal kid, God's got them. And, a, and the prayer of faith, the prayer of a praying mama and a praying daddy, there, there's nothing, nothing more powerful. Or praying grandparents or a praying church. So that's what we are taking to the bank. Here's what I know. Here's good news. God is most interested in reaching this generation. Do you believe that God wants to reach this generation and not lose them? Well, what a partner to have. God. It's not too late for these statistics to be turned around because of a radical encounter with the living God. And we have a church full of people that God did it for them, and he can do it again. I believe that God is looking for intentional parents and an intentional church. So what we're doing to kind of end this series, it's this old idea I grew up with in my church. We had prayer partners. I remember I had several prayer partners. And we would go through seasons where not just the parents would be praying for their kids intentionally, but we would pass around names. And so all the moms and dads and people, uh, spiritual moms and dads, singles, young adults, they'd all get a name of a kid. It was a much smaller church. We got a way bigger problem here today. But uh, they would take that name and they would say, You're my, I'm your prayer partner. I'm going to pray for you, son. And uh, I can remember that to this day. And we're going to do that together. We actually, Pastor Seth in Halifax had a dream about us having a bunch of cue cards and all the names of our kids on these cards. And so you heard it last week where we, uh, we called uh, Olive Clark. Um, we called you to give us your kid's name. And we are going to partner with the Holy Spirit and pray for the next eight weeks uh, that the Lord would have his way in Olive's life 
and that even as he partners with Olive's parents, that there comes a moment of awakening that is a miracle of God. And oh, almost 1,700, we have almost 1,700 kids' names here. So, <laughs> it's a big church. Um, who's going to pray for all of them, Pastor Brent? Are you going to just sit in your office and do it all yourself? No, he's not. We are going to do this together. You don't have to be elegant. You just have to be diligent in prayer. You just need to grab a few of these. So here's the call. At all of our locations, we are going to step in for the next, until Easter, okay? Every day, I want you to take, we can do this like uh, potluck rules. Bring enough for your family. So take, if you got seven kids, take seven. <laughs> if you've got three kids, take three. Okay, so here's, I am actually going to do that because that's, that's one way we can know we're going to cover most. I take three to five, do that. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a reminder on my phone every day and I'm going to take a minute. I'm just going to breathe a prayer for Olive and I grabbed another one, Ava, age 14. That's not my Ava because I put her last name. So, but that's easy for me to remember. So I'm going to take a few and I'm going to invite, we're gonna, I'm going to, so let's stand to our feet, all of our locations. And I'm going to invite you as the bands lead us in a song to come forward, grab a few cards. I'm, I'm calling all of us to do this, by the way. Grab a few cards. They're all up here on the stage. They should be at the stage at West Halifax, St. Stephen, Charlottetown. They should all be there. Grab a few and then put them somewhere where you're going to remember every single day. You know, it doesn't have to be 50 minutes. It could be. It could be three minutes. It could be two minutes on your way to work. Just breathe a prayer. We're going to keep striking the ground for eight weeks. What could God do if a whole church just started saying, hey, we're taking ownership for our kids, and we're going to pray for these kids every single day. So that's what we're going to do. So when we start to sing at all of our locations, let me pray for us and just that God would help us respond. And then I want you to come forward, and I want you to grab a few cards. And we're going to do this together. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So, Father, thank you for your word. We believe it's true. We believe you don't want to lose a generation. And we want to partner, partner with you in this. So, Lord, we pray right now for parents uh, of Christian kids. We ask for grace, Lord. Uh, for those of us who have kids in the home, grace to demonstrate what it means to walk in victory. Uh, grace, Lord, to set right priorities. Grace to be quick to speak the word of the Lord over our children. And for those of us with adult children, Lord, we just pray for grace to trust that your word won't return void. Grace to contend for that moment of awakening, of coming to their senses, to come home. Uh, and Lord, we pray over our church, the collective family. Would you knit us together through this? Would you raise up spiritual moms and dads, spiritual big brothers and sisters to own their job in praying for the next generation, Lord? Would you just mobilize us right now in this initiative? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, all right, all right.